0: Featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Hey guys, I am so excited for today's episode. The woman that I have on today is very near and dear to my heart. And as this is the first interview on the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast, I wanted to take the opportunity to pay homage to my roots and express my gratitude to someone who has helped me out so much. And my guest today has actually been a therapist for 30 years. And for 20 of those years, she's been in private practice where she specialized in addiction and gambling. And you guys, she has touched the lives of thousands of people, including my own. This was the person who said, go for it, when I wanted to get my doctorate in clinical psychology. She is the mother of two amazing children. She's an animal lover, a business owner an advocate for equality, and a woman who shows up for her family with fierce devotion. She will tell you like it is and is not afraid to speak her mind. She's highly empathic and incredibly good at getting people to cry and actually feel their feelings. I am so excited to introduce you all to my aunt, the one and only Bonnie Hustis. What's up, Bon? (laughs)
1: Thanks, Morgan. That was great. I'm glad to be joining you today. Wow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Quite the intro. Anyways, yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. And as I said, it only felt right to have you on as the first guest because you were so crucial to me getting to where I have today and encouraging me to get my doctorate when there was, you know, plenty of people that probably thought it was a little bit crazy. You know, you were like go for it, do it. So anyways, I'm so glad that you're my first guest and I think that so many people will benefit from learning from you. You have so much experience and you've helped so many people. So I know that you'll bring a lot of value to the audience.
1: Well, Morgan, I need to add something about you. Oh, boy. (laughs) You know, you've been doing this for doing this in the field for a couple years. And it amazes me that whenever I get stuck in a tough relationship issue with one of my clients or couples or families, the first person I call to help me out of those spots that I don't know where to go is Morgan Anderson. And to me, I'm just amazed because I tell people, you know, be careful working with people that haven't been in the field long. And I feel like you have far exceeded what I know and I'm able to do in your short, short time and I can only believe that has happened because you have followed your passion. And that's the key. You did it, Morgan.
0: Aw. Thank you. I so appreciate you saying that. And I I just feel so honored that I have had you to kind of model what it's like to be in this field and be you know, be a therapist. Um, I learn from the best, honestly, I really feel that. Um, so I'm excited about our conversation today. I know that between the two of us, gosh, we have worked with a lot of clients. We've seen a lot of stuff and we both are people who really truly care and and show up for people when, when we're meeting with them. So there's a lot that we can share. Um, I wanted to start off with just a little introduction from you about what you do currently and your experience in, in the field and what, what it's been like for you to be a therapist for 30 years.
1: Okay, thanks, Morgan. I um, The first thing I'd like to say is not a lot of people can do anything for 30 years and really say I enjoy it all the time. Some days I don't want to get into town and go to work, but once I'm with people I'm working with, it is where I belong and and what I love. And so I'm thankful that I ended up in this field. I didn't start out my life in this field. I went um, first to school to uh, go into sociology, got bummed on that, Then I decided to go into business, didn't like that. And um, then I went into teaching, didn't do that, and ended up in state government. And um, I got to tell you how I got into it. I um, needed um, to go to counseling myself. I came from a farm family, lost my parents when I was 18, and it it didn't heal well within me. I had a lot of um, issues relating to that loss. And back then, nobody went to counseling. So I decided, by gosh, I was going to do it. Um, I called up a counselor. First thing I did, called one up, hung up. Called her up again, hung up. Called her up again, made an appointment, didn't go. Finally, I ended up going. And I must say, it changed my life. Wow. Wow. At that point, I decided I'm going to school and I'm going to go into that field. So I took all of my savings out of uh, and all of my retirement. And I had fun for two years and and went back to school. So that's where I am. Um, Wow. How did I not know the details
0: to that? Thank you for sharing. And what I loved about that story is you highlighted the resistance that comes up when we're growing and when we're dealing with pain and trauma, you know, you called, hung up, called, hung up, made an appointment, didn't go, and then you finally went. So many people can get discouraged when that resistance comes up and it prevents them from actually doing the work and healing. So that's a great example of you kept at it, you finally did it, it changed your life, and then you went to school for it. So that's amazing.
1: And don't you think, Morgan, that so many people say, well, you need to go to counseling. And I want to rephrase that. I believe everyone deserves to go to counseling. It's not about needing um, to go. It's people we all deserve to feel, I say, more congruent, feel good inside about where we are, the relationships we're in. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we all deserve this time. And I just think that's important.
0: I love that. Yes. I think that reframing it that way is so important. And if people could see it that way, so many more people would give themselves the permission to go to therapy.
1: Right. Yep. I I started out doing family therapy. I gotta tell you a story. I um my emphasis of study was groups and individual and the first job that came up was a psych hospital inpatient psych dealing with teenagers and i needed to do family therapy and i didn't have a clue what family therapy was about except maybe one class that i went to in college so i studied really really hard uh the day or two before my interview and i I sounded like an old pro At family therapy and I did get the job and I dived into family therapy which to me is really all about relationships and um, what a gift that was to me because it forced me to expand into an area that I really didn't know a lot about but um, yeah it's been great.
0: I mean I think you know in the therapist community we all know that Family therapy is not easy and I'm sure the audience can also think about getting all their family members into a room and trying to do therapy. It is difficult and challenging. So you started out in a really uh, complex kind of treatment, you know, and I think sometimes when we're learning, it's almost best to just get thrown in. Um, So yeah, I can imagine you learned a lot during that time.
1: Yeah, it was great.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you was about this idea, you and I talk about this, of addiction and people's sense of self-worth and how those things are connected. What would you say about
1: that? Well, my belief about addictions is um, it's a little different than the typical old school addiction. Um, And I read um, in a book, it was from the Hazleton um, Foundation, it was um, The Addicted Personality, old, old book, older than you, Morgan. Um, (laughs) And in there somewhere they talked about a hole in the soul. And I just have grabbed that um, because I believe most of our addictions, I can't say 100%, most of our addictions come from that hole in our soul, i.e., who am I? What's wrong with me? I'm not enough. I'm not Mm -hmm. I All of those things. And so we go, I don't like that feeling at all. And so I use I take my first drink and I feel like I'm something now, I'm someone now, or, or drugs or gambling. I do a lot of work with gamblers. And so we're trying to fill that hole in the soul. And I believe for healing in addictions and getting into recovery is we gotta go into that hole in the soul and start working with that, not just white knuckle it and quit using our substance or activity. That we're using to cover that up.
0: I agree with that. I agree. And I think that, you know, addiction is so rampant in our society, right? Whether it's, you know, substances or spending money or food or even cell phone use, you know, whatever it is, addictions are all over the place. And I think you're absolutely right that it can basically be used as a way to numb and as a way to get away from the belief that somehow I'm not good enough or there's, there's something wrong with me, I'm unlovable. Um, yeah, so when you're doing that, work with people how how do you feel like you can reach them like what's when when you're starting out let's say someone's coming in they know they have a problem maybe they hit rock bottom they lost everything and they're coming to
1: you where do you start you know morgan i start with listening just listening and validating who they are As a human, Um, it's amazing to me the number of people that come in. Um, And I listen to them. I listen to their story. I don't judge. I don't interrupt. I listen. And they come back a week later and they go, Oh my gosh, I felt so much better after you, you know, after one session with you. And it's just amazing to me. And I think to myself, And I did nothing but listen to you, listen to your story. And that's where I start always.
0: You know, I love that. And I know that my audience here, they can't see you. Um, But one of the things about Bon is she really is the best listener. She's like tuned in with her body language, she is highly expressive, y'all. Like lots of like hand movements. Like if you if you have good news or you have bad news, and you really want to feel like you're supported and you're heard, she's the person you call. Um, and you know what? I think that's why your clients love you so much. Um, And a lot of therapists, I I don't know if you agree with this, Vaughn, you probably would, but a lot of therapists forget that that's the core, that's the core of what we do, right? That holding that space, that unconditional positive regard, and just actually listening to what people are saying.
1: Well, you got that. You know, you just saying that really touched me inside. It must be that important to me because I... I you know I almost felt emotional there. You just saying those words, and so that is how important it is. Whether it's a therapeutic relationship, whether it's a relationship um, with one of my grown children, whether it's a, a couple relationship, a a work a boss relationship, if we can listen truly, listen, listen with every bit of who we are inside. I I tell clients I say. When you're trying to listen, I want you to visualize your bleeding heart and you're moving your um, ribs and you're opening up your being and you're vulnerable to that person. You're really listening and you, you risk, in a relationship, getting hurt then. Morgan, you talked about sharing something important. Well, you could share that with me, something very important to you. And if I weren't listening well and opening to you, I could really reject that, not hear you, and you could leave feeling very hurt instead of mm-hmm. just listen to. And so that's how we can honor each other, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, all of what you said, gosh, that is so powerful. And you know, obviously, this podcast is called Let's Get Vulnerable. And, Um, you know, so I'm a fan of being vulnerable. And I think what you're talking about obviously relates so importantly to romantic relationships. And I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, what does it look like if, if people aren't listening to each other um, or there's conflict, do you feel like that is one of the things that causes relationships to fall apart?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, I think that when people don't listen, truly listen, um, my, I think most people listen with the thought of what am I going to say back? instead of listening to the words that are spoken that when we don't listen we shut the other person down we we don't give them the opportunity to be vulnerable with us because they don't know what they're going to get back because when i listen my goal is to not judge not give unwanted feedback to listen to keep my mouth shut and listen How many couples do I have come in? They're talking over the top of each other. They're um, putting the other person down when they listen to what is spoken. And all that does is move the relationship further and further apart. Um, If you live in that for 10 years, 20 years, two years, are we ever surprised that one of the persons in the relationship go out and have an affair with someone that really listens to them. I'm not surprised.
0: Yes, I so agree. And I think, yeah, you're touching on, on something there too that I'll probably explore in other episodes, which is infidelity. And, you know, sometimes we have to look at the person's needs are not getting met in the relationship. So of course they're going out and they're seeking that need and you know in our relationships with people one of the core things that we need is to feel safe secure supported understood we want to feel heard we want to feel like we matter and i'm curious i i have some thoughts about this curious what you would say as well uh what are the things that get in the way of not listening My One thing I'd say is people probably have their own things that they haven't dealt with, their own insecurities or their own distress about who they are or their lack of self-worth that causes them to not really even have the capacity to really tune in to someone else you know, for example, one partner is really, really, really struggling with something, whether, you know, maybe it's an addiction or a deep depression, sometimes that can get in the way, right, of having that capacity to show up for another person. Um, So that's one of the thoughts I had. What, What else do you think kind of prevents that dialogue, I would call it, like a productive, deep connecting dialogue, when we're really tuned in to our partner, what, what do you feel like gets in the way of that?
1: Well, Morgan, I think you hit on what I think about all the time, and that's that self-worth, that who am I, that um, if, if, my, if I have damaged self-worth, I'm always protecting myself. I'm always um, looking at ways to feel good, Um, I kind of say phony, phony good. Um, And so when you think of a couple with that, I mean, it's tough to find a human that has the best self worth, you know, just, hey, can say, I am clear, I am good, I I am everything I need to be. I think we're all in the process of that. But I really, I don't know what gets in the way more than, who am I? And I'm scared to let you know who I am because ah, mm-hmm. uh, there's some bad things inside of me and I don't want anyone to know them. Mm-hmm. So I'll cover it up, cover it up, right? Yeah. Up. Yeah.
0: Putting up walls, putting up barriers. It It makes me think about the power of shame, right? If someone has a story of shame that, you know, they maybe have experiences or things that they've done and they have labeled themselves as unlovable, that shame will kind of act as a barrier to connection. So if I can't really even listen to myself or tune in to myself, how can I do that for another human, right? Right. You got it.
1: Yeah. And we're all kind of broken, aren't we? You know,
0: everyone has, everyone has stuff, everybody does. And it's what you do with it. And ultimately, a well functioning partnership is two people who are committed to their own individual growth, and also to the growth of the couple. And they're willing to do the work and work through the triggers and work through all the stuff that comes up by committing to this dialogue and really listening to one another, right
1: boy, that's for sure and and it is a lot of work um, just a whole lot of work. People really do have to commit to you know to to grow in relationships, and I like what you said i I believe that the individual growth is so important. A lot of, you know, people come to me and they just want to be these wonderful, cohesive um, couples. And they kind of give up who they are. And so then they, they, you know, they can work on that couple, couple, couple stuff. But when they're not really um, exploring and growing as individuals, I swear that relationship will not work unless both of them. Are growing as individuals also
0: so important and I think so many people need to be able to hear that and take it in oftentimes in the beginning stages of a relationship it's normal to become confluent as a term um, where both people feel like they're one person they have to have the same likes and the same vision and everything has to be the same because Difference feels threatening to the relationship Mm -hmm. and that's normal to happen in the beginning. However, healthy couples that last long term do move past that and get to the place that you're talking about where we are two individuals working on our own growth, supporting one another and growing alongside one another instead of becoming codependent and, you know, very um, just dependent on one another, like unable to be themselves without the other.
1: So, yeah. Do you notice, Morgan, um, often when I have couples, and I've worked with couples a lot, now I'm kind of, you know, trying to take the easy way out and just work with individuals, but um, (laughs) couples... Most often when I get a new couple in, there's two things I notice. Number one, they can't communicate with the darn. Um, so there's three things. And I ask, what do you do for yourself? Mm. Well, often one of the um one of the individuals, um, so, well, I go to the gym every day, I um go out drinking with the guys on Friday or the gals or whatever. But the other part of the couplehood looks blank and goes, Whoa, well, I work. I and they, they do nothing for themselves. They don't grow. They don't mm. and or and the other kind of couples, they neither one of them are feeding themselves. And that's one thing I tell them if you're not going to feed yourselves individually, I can't keep working with you Hmm. because we're not going to get anywhere, folks. You've got to start feeding yourselves individually. So there's Hmm. that piece that I think is so important, don't you?
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, because how can we show up in a relationship and be the partner that we want to be and be supportive and grow if we haven't taken
1: care of ourselves? Absolutely, you know. On the other side of that, I got to share this because I was blown away when I read this, and um, I I don't know where I read it. So you know, you just can't take this for what it's worth. But I was reading different stories, and there was some research on the amount of time that couples spend with each other. I don't mean um, going to a basketball game together. I mean sitting down, sharing with each other. How are you? You know, communicating mm. like we're talking about. The, the statistics show the average couple per week spends three minutes. Oh. Per oh. week, Morgan. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if, if I'm not willing to take the time and sit down and really connect with you. It's what we're talking about, though. Listening empathetically, you know, really listening. Mm-hmm. For more than three minutes a week, mm-hmm. uh, I go, okay, huh. But you know what? The couples I work with, I will stand behind those statistics or less. Three yeah. minutes or less a week.
0: Yes. Well, and I know you you and I know that a lot of people, A, don't know how to have the conversations. They don't know what dialogue between people looks like in a healthy way because they probably never had it modeled for them. You know, maybe it wasn't happening in their households they're growing up. Right. Uh, and then the other thing is that so often people just want to avoid, right? Like if they think that there's any possibility that there's something negative or that, you know, maybe there will be something critical or maybe they're insecure about the relationship and they don't want to lose it. So they would just rather not talk. But you and I know that the sad thing is, is that the more that you avoid, the more entrenched patterns become the more distant you become, this is that statement, you know,
1: like two ships in the night, you lose each other.
0: You right. I,
1: boy, that's, you know, it, you made me think of something when you were talking there about, I will have couples, one of the couples say, well, I I shared with my husband last night and and told him about something that's really important to me and inside of me and, or, And by gosh, he turned it on me and he used it against me in some way. Mm. So of course, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to share again? And so then it's, you know, trying to help the other couple or the other part of the couple learn to listen and just listen. But yes, it's a difficult, oh my gosh, uh, it's so very, very difficult. Most couples I see, they say communication. They understand they're not communicating. Right. But boy, that means from A to Z what communication really means.
0: What it really often, means, exactly.
1: Yeah. I think often they think it means, well, you know, I talked to my husband and he doesn't agree with me. So mm-hmm. they're not communicating, you know, and it's hard. It's a, oh, it's a hard, hard, hard thing to do. Commun- yeah. You know, and you and I both
0: have worked with quite a few couples, somehow I decided that's what I wanted my specialty to be uh, in graduate school and there was nobody else that wanted to do it and I never understood why um, until I started doing it more and more and I realized how much work it is. It really is a lot more work than individual therapy, just because there's so many dynamics happening. Uh, But you and I, you know, we've done a lot of couples therapy. I would recommend that pretty much every single couple could benefit from therapy. I don't care how well your relationship is
1: functioning. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, Morgan. And interesting there, just to be a bit vulnerable myself, you just saying that when you said every couple. I go, oh my Lord, that would mean me and my husband. Oh my, that's pretty scary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes therapists, we could be the worst. We're like, I don't need therapy, right? But no, for sure. I I think that, you know, honestly, when we want to have relationships, not just mediocre relationships, but great relationships where we're truly connected, they take work. And Therapy is this wonderful space that is set for you, whether it's weekly or every other week, you know, whether it's therapy or coaching, you know, there's also couples coaching out there, but having a space for you and your partner to do this work and having someone as a third party to support you through it, it's, it's beneficial no
1: matter how good your relationship is. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. It's it's scary and it, it's, I mean, you can decide to live your life at a 25%. That's okay. You know, I'm not going to judge you. Yet you could live at 90%. Ooh. You could if you make commitments to things like this, like, you know, getting your relationship yeah. in order. Yeah. And
0: You're making me think about, um, Tony Robbins, you know, um, that's right. I have been to Tony Robbins, unleashed the power within walked on fire. Y'all judge me if you want. Um, but the whole raise your standards idea of what kind of life do, do you want? Do you want a relationship? That's just kind of so, so, and, Maybe you feel like roommates and you're not really supported or connected, or you want a partner that you can grow with who has your back no matter what, and you share a deep
1: emotional connection. Right. You know, I I have that discussion with with couples. I say many couples decide, you know, I like our house. We got enough money. Um, I don't hate you. And I'm just going to live this way. And it's okay. It's okay with me. If a person makes a conscious decision that I'm going to settle, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And then many couples decide, no, I want to have this. I want to live with passion. One of my big things is people figure out what their passion is and go for it, like you did, Morgan. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And we can live like With passion, as couples, it's up. It's up to the person, but it's okay. I want to make that clear. It is okay if you decide not to. Okay,
0: it it is, and I think you hit on something important. If if that is what you want to do, it is okay. We, you know, would just hope that you're doing it consciously, that you've made the decision, that you accept it, and you are good about having an okay relationship. And if that's where you're at and you accept it, then that's okay. But don't unconsciously live in that and then wake up in 15 years and look in the mirror and go, what
1: the hell happened, right? Right. You know, isn't that, I really believe one of the hardest things in life is, I wished I would have. I wished I would have. or Yes. That regret, I I don't know about living with that. I wished I would have 10 years ago. Yeah, I would have. Yeah. Amen. um, Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, speaking of that and kind of being able to look back on your life, I know that you have an exercise that you've done with people that's really effective in getting them to think about their own self-worth and maybe even the narrative of their life and what matters to them can you share with the audience this exercise and kind of tell them what they would do if, if they wanted to go do it?
1: You bet. And, um, that's my obituary end of the life exercise. Um, I didn't, um, dream this up. Someone that I worked with years ago and I can't remember who it was or what or how, um, introduced this to me and I've just continued to use it and, Maybe I've tweaked it some. Excuse me. But what the exercise is, I ask people, so I would ask you, I want you to write your obituary. But yet, I hate the word but, and I've used it. Yet, I don't want you to say anything about what you've done. I don't want you to say, I got my master's, I got my doctorate, I um, went to Greece. I'm talking about you here, Morgan. (laughs) I want to know who you are. I am a woman full of passion. When I think about animals getting hurt, it tears my heart. That's what I want from you. I want to know everything about you, who you are, not what you've done. Tough exercise, Morgan. I have to give people weeks to do that because Ooh. we always flip into, well, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I've, um, I, I think about, you know, just people that identify what they have done in life Mm -hmm. not who they are. Mm -hmm. And so I can have a scream and hurt and self-esteem, but I can say I was the first in my class in graduate school. I, you know, I did all those things Mm -hmm. and think that's who I am. That isn't who I am. Mm. This is
0: so powerful. And I hope that everyone that listens to this, and if you're driving, don't do it right now, but I hope that you you know, get out a pen and paper and do this exercise. And just what Bonnie said, you know, I think this is one that can take some time and a lot of reflection. Um, You know, when I talk about this, I I like to use the metaphor of self-worth versus self-esteem. And so many of us in our society, we are trained to be on the self-esteem Roller coaster, and it is just that it is a freaking roller coaster that goes up and down based on how much money you have in the bank, the clothes you're wearing, the places you're being seen, the feedback that other people give you, what other people think of you, the house you have, etc. It goes up and down, and we can lose it in an instant. Whereas self-worth is what Bonnie's talking about here is who are you really at your core, right? You know, what is it that makes you, you, what is your heart like, you know, what, what do you truly care about? Um, And I think so, so many of us in our society, we lose track of those core values and who we really are. Because we get so rewarded by being productive or having the material things so it can be easy to really lose sight of our core
1: self. Well, you got that you know I was thinking back to that exercise that you're talking about there Morgan, is a very helpful part of it too is once you have written your uh, obituary on you know who you are not what you've done, to read it to someone that you know you can trust. Yes. To to verbalize it just puts it in a whole different place. And you can really celebrate then who I am. Mm Mm-hmm. You know?
0: um, Yeah. Yeah, and the beautiful thing about it, right, I, I think this is interesting. I wonder what you think. But when we really know that, It makes everything else in our life easy because we have this sense of self worth, who we are. We know that we're valuable. So, you know, our relationships, our career, all of those things, we're able to navigate them so much better because we're coming from a place of security and trust and knowing who we are. And we set ourselves up for
1: success in that way absolutely you got it there <laughs> makes me think of another one of my favorite sayings is i, I tell people over and over you are a human being not, i say that too <laughs> yeah not a human doing right morgan it's yeah who a human human being. I know, it's who i'd be i'd be excited <laughs> And, wow, if we can be human beings and not human (laughs) doings, we got... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes, I agree with that 100%. We need to spend more time in just being and celebrating who we are at our core And this also really helps us in our relationships, right? When we can get clear about that and know who we are, it helps us show up as our authentic selves in our relationships and contributes to that deep connection that you and I are talking
1: about. Right, right, for sure.
0: Well, this has been so good. I feel like there's a lot of valuable things that we've talked about. And I really hope that people go out and they do that exercise, write their obituary. And if you do it, please tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching and share it to your story so I can see it. I want to know. And that would be on Instagram. So go do that. And Vaughn, one of the things that I am doing with my guests on the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast is before... I let them go and we end the interview. I want to ask them one question. And my question for you is if you had one message that you could leave the listeners with that would help them improve their life, what would you want to share with them?
1: Oh, boy, you should have told me this was coming, Morgan. <laughs> uh, one, one, ha. Ah. No pressure. I would say find your passion. Every one of us was given a passion at birth. I believe this. It is inside of you. I don't know what it is. Find it and live it. Find your passion and live it. You will then be all you need to be in the world in relationships, in your work, in whatever. Find Mm -hmm. that passion. And nobody gets to get by with they don't have one. We all have one.
0: I agree with that. (laughs) Wow, that is so powerful. Such an important message. And... I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on here and being my first guest. And I really think there was a lot of important pieces in here that so many people can benefit from, whether they're, you know, in a relationship or single, all of our human beings out there, um, they will benefit from what we talked about today. So. And let me know, guys, if I should bring Vaughn bon back on the podcast. I, I could see her coming on again. I think this has been super fun. Uh, definitely go and leave a review on iTunes. And as always, leave any comments that you have about the podcast. And make sure that you tag me on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Coaching. If we're not friends on there, like let's hang out together, let's be friends. And I just want to say once again, Bon, thank you so much. And until next time, I'm wishing you great
1: self-worth
0: and great relationships.
1: Thanks, Morgan.
0: You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you.